Today's episode of Damn Good Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Georgia tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, everybody. Seth Emerson with the Athletic here. Rennie Curran over there. Rennie, how was your weekend? Man, it was good. Busy as usual. Uh, a lot of business taken care of, both good and, and bad. Just caught up on a lot of things and uh, went to a retreat, so I got a chance to relax. But overall, it was great. Of course, good to always see the dogs win. I retreated to Knoxville, and it's it's a pretty nice. drive. Did you all did you all fly to Knoxville when you were a player? Man, that's a good question. I believe we, I want to say we flew to Knoxville. It's been a little it's a little muddly now because some places like that, like South Carolina, I know we drove. Um, but yeah, it was always a. Crazy week preparing for them, though. We'll, we'll talk more yeah, about that. Of yeah, course. well, and I don't want to deviate, but we like to deviate here. And I'm always interested in the perspective of player. And a lot of people don't kind of understand the travel part of it for you guys, especially yeah. when you were playing. You had to fly when you flew. You had to drive to Atlanta first, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now they've exactly. they've extended the runway at Ben Epps Airport in Athens, and so now they fly out direct out of Athens. But when I mean, man, when you all were playing those. Those fly games were not easy. A bus and then, yeah. you know, get to the runway and jet off. and That that probably wasn't that fun. It wasn't, man. It was a definite um, excruciating process of time. I'm one of those who I love to travel, but I don't really like the process of traveling. Mm-hmm. And so when you mix in the preparation, you, you know, you're watching tons of film right. during the week. You're going through practice and then immediately after that last practice or that last meeting that you have to go over the final keys for the game, got to go straight to the locker room, pack up all your bags, you know, make sure you don't leave anything. There's always something, you know, whether you, you like if you're a freshman, you might leave a pair, of, like I've seen guys leave pairs of cleats and, or, or gloves and, and things like that, that are crucial. So oh. that, that always comes into the mix or when you travel, if you're uh, not that veteran yet, you have the tendency if you're, um, going to around the hotel and you have to carry that playbook around you might forget it like there's all types of things that come up uh, when you're traveling um, but overall man they the equipment managers always do a great job of making sure everything's smooth and there's always the guys who you have on the team to make sure that everybody's kind of staying focused on what they need to do I've always wondered what that hotel scene is like the night before a game and it's even at home Mm. Uh, where a lot of people don't realize that yeah. they they put you all in hotels. Now Georgia is at the conference center in Athens, but when you were playing, it was at a hotel, sometimes 
like how far out of Athens would you all go? So we would be around the Lake Lanier area. So it was about a good hour from Athens. But man, honestly, those were some of the most powerful times that we had together as a team. Why? Man, so that was like the, the bonding moments. Like it was our mini retreat before we got to the game. And for a lot of us who hadn't gotten that, uh, the, our first experience yet of, of playing in those big games, that mm -hmm. was our time to really just take a step back uh, we met together as a team, away from the coaches, away from everybody, and just really bonded, man. We would have time where we would pray together. Um, we would have time where, you know, we do the chaplain, like the, our chaplain would come in, of mm -hmm. course, but we as a team would just uh, really just be real with each other. And that's a lot of times what you don't get the opportunity to get during the week because you're going to class and you're going to practice and then you're going back to tutoring and, you know, you're going sometimes until 9, 30, 10 at night. But when you get out there, it's like this little safe haven. You got to get a good meal. You get that time to really just, uh, um, you, you, well, you've prepared. So you know exactly what the keys are. So now it's just kind of time to relax, reflect on, you know, the game ahead, what you're going to be doing. You know, you're, you're in your room. You get to talk to your family one last time and just get in that mindset, uh, in that championship mindset. Yeah. As a reporter, I get in the championship mindset myself by sitting around all day in my Knoxville hotel room <laughs> and watching Netflix. Uh, and maybe I do Love some it. reading. But, yeah, <clears throat> that's so that's what I did <clears throat> Saturday, trying to get over the cold, too, which I have not kicked yet. Um, and then 3 o'clock, get in my car, drive straight in. wasn't a huge amount of traffic. And I watch a game between Georgia and Tennessee that was actually a game. For a little bit. Uh, in fact, Tennessee, I think, led for much of the first half. And then Georgia starts to pull away late in the first half and puts it away. But, Rennie, do you think a result like that, is it really good because it kind of keeps the team on its toes, shows some flaws that need to be worked on? Or would you rather Georgia just go out and truck everybody? Honestly, man, I, I think it's great. Like, that's one of the things you learn early on as a player in the SEC, playing in the SEC is that you can't take any weeks off. And if you do think for a minute that you can get comfortable and that you're going to go into somebody's stadium and just bulldoze them and it's going to be all good and all sweet, and, uh, you know, that's the worst mistake you can make because you give a team like that, which we did early on. And I knew, you know, I, people ask me all the time, oh, uh, when we're going to every week, how do you think the Bulldogs are going to do if it's a bad team, if it's a Tennessee, they're having a bad week. You know, people kind of joke around and be like, oh, we're, we're going to kill them and all that. Don't you think so? And I'm like, nah, man, it's going to be a game. Uh, and I tell people all the time that right now where we're at as a team and where we're ranked number three and just being Georgia as a whole, that we're going to get everybody's best. And, and the minute we give them a big play, an explosive play, or give them a glimpse of confidence, they're going to automatically become a whole new team. They're going to find that whole new confidence uh, because of, of – you know who they're playing and their fans are going to get that extra umph in them as well they're going to be extra loud uh, because they're they're smelling blood you know everybody like right now is like a shark who's trying to um, just look for a little bit of blood to get in there and, and um, expose us so it's it's going to continue to be like that south carolina is not going to take it easy on us either everybody's got something to prove and it starts with you know beating us or just even having a competitive game against us yeah and that's what you, you could sense it in the stadium rennie that yeah. people sh arrived at the game expecting a route. 
And <clears throat> there were a lot of Georgia fans in the building. There was a lot of red. And the way, you know, we get there about two or three hours, really three hours before. And then when they let the stadium in, it's almost all Georgia fans at first because they don't have tailgates to go to because there's, this is a road game for them. Mm-hmm. So people are like, there's a lot of red. And then Tennessee fans start streaming in. But there's still a lot of empty seats out of 100,000 plus, whatever it is, 102,000. I'd say it was probably, in reality, 75 to 80,000, which is still a lot. Uh, but probably you know, most, I mean, two-thirds, three-fourths of that, Tennessee fans. But I tweeted jokingly, as Tennessee had the lead in the second quarter, are there a bunch of Tennessee fans that are rushing from their home to actually use their tickets that – uh, and get here. Well, as soon as you say that, Georgia pulls it back ahead and <clears throat> has the lead and everything's going fine. But it, there was that belief, I think. But ultimately, Georgia's depth and talent takes over. And, and that's what happened in this game. It won't happen in every game. But it, there were a couple things, Rennie, that I wanted to talk about that emerged. And really, we are, in a lot of ways, nitpicking or over worrying but that's because that's the standard that's been set for this Georgia program it's not yeah you know, beating Tennessee is great it's great that they're 5 and 0 but everyone knows what the goal is for this team one of them is kind of piggybacking on the fact that a true freshman quarterback a first time starter for Tennessee came in through 205 yards in the first half against Georgia you talked about watching the Notre Dame game from the sidelines, you were worried about Georgia's corners. Eric Stokes came back. He's been playing well when he's healthy. Tyson Campbell's not back yet. But where where are you on this secondary? Where What do you think about this Georgia, and not just the secondary, because pass defense is more than just the five guys back there. Where, what do you think about this pass defense right now? Man, it's, it's definitely getting better. I think they took some uh, steps in the right direction, but also we still got a lot of work to do. Uh, that overall communication has to be there. And you kind of see that throughout the game. Uh, I think it wasn't so much that the quarterback played great. I, th- I think it was more so that at times we had that lack of communication, whether it was running the blitz and um, missing assignments on who was supposed to cover, um, you know, what area of the field. Um, I saw poor angles at times or, you know, uh, our safety kind of biting, you know, biting the cheese is what we call it as right. players. You know, they're falling for, for, you know, ghost routes and whatnot. So we really have to clean those things up because every week, you know, teams are watching and they're game planning for us. And for where we are right now, you already know teams are game planning us three, four, five weeks out in advance. So by the time they get to us, they already know our weaknesses. They know the guys who are those uh, guys who usually make the poor angles or who are over overly aggressive and whatnot and, and who, you know, allow that aggression to make them, uh, cause them to make those mistakes. And um, so I think that's something we're definitely going to have to continue to work on and, and develop depth in because, like, we saw, you know, guys can go down at any moment. So those DBs really have to start to um, develop that leadership and um, across the board have that mentality. And I think that's what's going to really help them down the stretch. One theory I've heard, and I kind of poo-pooed the notion last week that Jim Chaney's knowledge of Georgia would help too much, but – I did say that maybe he'll know something about a player has a tendency this, so I'll try to do that, blah, blah, blah. And a theory I've heard is that on that 73-yard touchdown pass that Cheney figured that Georgia would be susceptible to that, that Richard LeCount 
would bite the cheese, as you said, um, on that. Exactly. What, you think that that may have been what happened? Oh, without a doubt. Like, like I said, we spend way more time studying film, understanding tendencies, looking at players and how they move and uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are way more than we are on the field. And so when they go into games like this, especially when you got a coach that's been with the program and knows guys personally, he knows the guys who studies and who's in their playbooks and the guys who really depend on their talent and their ability. And those are the guys who a lot of times get exposed because the, the talent that they have and their speed or the ability to hit makes them kind of relax. And so they're not looking for, you know, those plays that'll come as a surprise or those audible, you know, those switch up type plays that will throw them off. And so, yeah, I, I have no doubt that he sat down with his quarterbacks and, you know, with the wide receivers and, and watched that film and, and uh, repeated plays over and over and over and was like, you know, see Richard account here. He, he likes to do this or he likes to lean this this way when he's blitzing. Or, you know, we get so detailed as far as uh, uh, what players like to do. And sometimes guys don't even realize it. Like they may on a blitz, they may, you know, put their head down a little bit more, you know, or offensive lineman. He may uh, lean on his right leg a little bit more when he's getting ready to pull. A certain way so it's, it's all types of things that you start to see man it's interesting it's very very interesting what about this notion and I've, I've delved into it a little bit it's something i've wondered all year is georgia's emphasis on havoc rate and right. whether it could backfire i actually i asked kirby after the game whether he should be worried about the pass defense and he, one thing he did say was that well we're we're putting some pressure on these guys because we're sending a lot of pressures we're sending a lot of blitzes and he didn't use the term we're putting him on an island, but that's basically what he did. With this Georgia pass defense, and I, I didn't come to a conclusion on it, so I'll ask you now, what do you think? And and obviously it'd be great if there's a happy medium between pressuring the quarterback, sending guys after them, and feeling great about your corners in single coverage and your safeties coming up to help. But should Georgia actually protect this secondary a little bit more? Because I, I think they did that the last few years. Mel Tucker did that a lot. He 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 didn't blitz as much except for certain situations, whereas the, the emphasis for this defense this year is so much on getting pressure. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, that habit rate, uh, whether we're blitzing or not, the pressuring, the, the game plan overall, it really comes down to trust and communication. And by trust, I mean, do you trust that those guys that you're sending in there to cause that havoc, that they're going to get there, that they're going to cause that havoc? And that's a lot of times where it starts is if, if the coach isn't trusting that their guys are going to be able to get there, cause some havoc, and, and that they're going to put those guys on an island, then you're not going to see them, them blitzing as much. You're, not, you're going to see them hold back the reins and stay in more of a zone type, you know, making sure that everybody's uh, in a position to, when the ball is thrown, um, make that play but I think we, we got a lot of uh, you know just very very talented front seven I mean we got guys like Aziz Ajilari who got two sacks and we can bring guys like Eric Stokes who can make big plays like that so um, I think we know the talent that we have and, and the defense coordinators know that and so they're going to try as much as they can to create that pressure and to keep that quarterback on the run keep him uncomfortable that's, that's one of the main things uh, and then with that you know, we got the leadership um, with the defensive backs, J.R. Reed, um, Richard LeCount, who uh, a lot of times do a good job of communicating. And so we just have to continue to make sure that we're, we're holding each other, that they're holding each other accountable and that they're communicating because that's where the breakdown kind of starts. If, if you're blitzing 
and whoever is blitzing, they're not covered up for or the guy who's supposed to be taking on their zone or, or covering the uh, the receiver that they're letting go by blitzing. If he's out of whack or if he uh, takes a poor angle to get into that zone or to that wide receiver, that's where the, the breakdown kind of starts. And then, you know, like I said, just making sure guys are getting home. Well, in a perfect world, you can do a four-man rush every down mm-hmm. because your D lineman and maybe your one outside linebacker who's rushing, like Aziz Ojolari, would tend to be that guy this year. You only need the four-man rush to create some pressure and every now and then mm-hmm. break through. And then you're, you can keep everyone else back in coverage yeah. because numbers-wise, that's beautiful. You got Sometimes you got to use simple arithmetic and look at it this way. Five offensive linemen and a quarterback. If you're only rushing four, that's six on four, you've got an advantage in the back, which you need because you don't know exactly what the route's going to be and everything. Um, so you've got a two-man advantage there. But when you send more pressure, the more guys you send on blitzes, the more you know, you're leaving guys in single coverage, and a safety is maybe covering a guy in the slot, which means he's not coming to help if the cornerback gets beat. It, it it's an it's a conundrum. It's it, there's no easy answer for it unless you've got the best defensive line in the world, which is why, by the way, Clemson and Alabama have been so successful the last few years. Is they don't have to rush a lot of guys a lot of times because their defensive line is so good. Um, I I Rennie, I get the sense that Georgia's still feeling its way through this. They think they have a pretty good defensive line. It's kind of almost ironic they've had this emphasis on havoc rate this year when their defensive line is better than it's been at any time since Kirby got here. Um, I I do still wonder whether there's going to come a time where they might pull back a little bit and say, actually, we trust our defensive line and we're going to pick our spots more on the blitzes. We're going to be aggressive. I'll I'll finish up here because I know I'm droning on. But I think part of what has influenced Kirby and Dan Lanning to be this aggressive is they were very aggressive on Alabama in the SEC championship, and it worked. But was part of the reason that it worked was that it was out of character, and Alabama wasn't ready for it. And if this time Alabama or even LSU uh, or Florida in a few weeks is ready for it, is it not as effective? Is it better – to surprise somebody with your pressures and your blitzes and your aggressive attitude uh, than have that be what you do all the time. Right. I think it's a mixture. I mean, because you definitely want to, as a defense, establish an identity. Uh, you want to. You don't want to overcomplicate things to where guys have to think. That's the worst thing you can do on defense is have a situation where every week you go in, the defense coordinator is throwing in a whole new game plan at you. And now you're just having to think guys can't really get in, in sync um, because, you know, there's a new new call and new defensive scheme or, and whatnot. Um, and you're dealing with 18 to 20, uh, 21 year olds. So you it, it limits how much you can do, depending on how much how much guys study, how much they're in the, the uh, film room and, and their overall knowledge of the game. Um, but at the same time, week to week, you're going to find those offenses that have certain weaknesses, you know, or have certain tendencies. Uh, they have certain plays that they like to run on certain downs, and that opens up the opportunity for you to say, hey, this week we're going to put in this specific blitz or we're going to put in this specific pressure where when they go into this formation, which they love to do on third and five, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to check to this and we're going to communicate this and we're going to add in a split. So I think it's a little bit of both, you know, and it all comes down to, like I said, the the knowledge 
of the uh, players, you know, where they're at maturity wise, um, being uh, them being able to communicate and then what that team is is ultimately doing with the tendencies they like. Because I don't care what anybody says, every offensive coordinator has an identity. Every uh, offensive coordinator, when they get when their back is against the wall, they have their go to plays and they have their go to players. And so that allows you to do a lot of good things. Another thing, let's flip to the other side of the ball for the worry wart portion of the podcast. Um, Georgia's offense has just been really great so far. Effective, efficient, a lot of words that start with F, making the other defense, or the defense use other words that start with F. Anybody see what I did there? Or am I just <laughs> being kind of, okay, never mind. Um, but this was something that, we talked about with Kirby Smart and Tyler Simmons said it too, is that they're, they want more explosive plays. They, now they define explosive plays probably differently than other people, which is at least 12 yards, which it would be great to just go down the field with 12 yard plays all the time. But Georgia actually ranks pretty low nationally right now in explosive plays as defined by 40 yards or longer. They don't even – their two longest plays of the year are a 62-yard uh, – no, a 62-yard run and a 60-yard pass, I believe it is. And those were both against Arkansas State. And it's also bringing to mind this notion that Jake Fromm doesn't throw the ball well downfield. The counter to all this is who cares? <laughs> they're, they're doing great throwing exactly. back shoulder, intermediate, uh, they're, they're running the ball effectively. Who cares that DeAndre Swift hasn't broken a 70-yarder yet? He can, you know, the team matriculates the ball down the field very well. But this is something that Kirby and the offense, they're talking about, that it's something that they say is a concern, that when they play other teams, they're going to need those explosive plays. Rennie, what do you think? Is this something that they shouldn't worry that much about, or is it something that, could cost them later down the line if they don't get better at it. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on the situation, right? Uh, we haven't really been in a position to where, uh, besides the Notre Dame game, where we need needed a super explosive play to uh, change the course of the game and to, to maintain that momentum. I think the biggest thing we need to focus on is just playing a full four quarters, which we have been able to do for the most part. Like, this team is very resilient. This is a team so far that I see is that's physical and, and maintains that physicality throughout the game. And then offensively, we've been really, really balanced. Like you said before, we've been able to spread the ball around. We've been able to run it when we need to. We've been able to uh, get it uh, to our different playmakers. So whether they have, uh, and, and then we have made big plays when we needed to. It may not be those 40 yarders, those, you know, home run uh, plays, but we've made those big plays when we needed to. And I think you know, a lot of people get caught up in whether Jake Fromm can throw the deep ball and not and different things like that. But at the end of the day, he's efficient, man. He's a gamer. And when we need to drive down the field, he makes it happen. So I really don't, you know, it, it, when, it, when it comes down to if we're down by two touchdowns, or, which eventually will happen, you know, throughout the course of the season when we get into the postseason, can he make those big plays? I think he definitely can. And I think I know without a doubt we have the players to, to make that happen. But I think majority of the focus right now has just been on the consistent play, driving down the field, not doing things to, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot, the penalties, the drop balls and different things like that. So right now I think we're gonna we're in a good place. When I hear the notion of Jake Fromm doesn't throw the ball well down the field, I always think of the ball in the air 
to McCole Hardman in the national championship game when he was a true freshman, when Cole Hardman was springing down the sidelines and that ball that Jake threw, just so pretty. I mean, I think it ended up being an 80-yard touchdown, more than half of it in the air, the ball. He, he can throw the ball downfield. Now, is, is he as good on the throws in tight windows? You know, he, he's accurate. I think the big reason he's accurate is because of his timing abilities and the rapport he has with the receivers and the knowledge. He's just so smart. You know, he's not Jacob Eason back there, just, you know, six foot five firing the ball in the tight windows. But sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's good knowing your limitations and saying, I'm not going to try to do this. I'm not going to be overconfident in my throws. But Jake's going to continue to have to answer those questions until it happens over a four quarter game in an important big game, because to, to the detractors, there's still the LSU game, both Alabama games, the Sugar Bowl. Whether or not that's fair, people still hold that against him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always going to be things like that where, where folks nitpick and, you know, try to say, oh, why he's not good enough and different things like that. At the end of the day, I think when you look at uh, Jake Fromm and what he's been able to do while at Georgia, this is just the type of player that he is. He's a student of the game. He's a guy who, in my opinion, Instead of getting that home run, uh, one home run play, he would rather put together a full drive where all his guys are, are hitting on all cylinders, where he's making the right checks and the right reads. And when you talk to everybody, I mean, from day one, like that's been the type of player that he is. He studies the game. He's super intelligent. He's going to break things down. Uh, he's going to put the time in. And I think when it comes to the field, like he's not really looking for that home run. He's looking like for uh, the overall, his overall performance to, to be in the right place, which to me, um, makes him a better quarterback. Here's a line for you. Jake Fromm, 25 for 39, 25 completions for 39 attempts. Pretty good accuracy, right? 301 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Can you guess what game that's from? I'm guessing probably uh, that Bama. Yeah, last year's SEC yeah. championship. You would take that line every day, right? So oh, yeah. why did Georgia lose that game? Well, because if you look at the rushing stats, 39 rushes for 153, sacked twice, two for 21, and some key third downs were in there where they, they didn't succeed. Um, I, you know, I, so you're asking that Fromm in that game needed to complete a few more passes and throw for 350 yards or something. Um, I think we, we put it on the quarterback a little bit too much, and I, I, I see a Georgia team that's balanced – that can run, that can pass. I, I, when I come back to, is this team going to be good enough to beat Bama or LSU, or could there be an upset in the making in Jacksonville, or I'm not sure it would be an upset in Auburn. Um, I come back to, I think I'd worry more about the defense than the offense. Yeah, at the end of the day, for me, it's it's a team sport, man. So everybody has to uh, come together and have a complete game in order for. Uh, games like that to be won, especially those games where it comes down to to one to three plays, one to three crucial plays, whether it's, you know, a turnover or uh, somebody who, um, you know, misses an assignment and allows a wide receiver to, to make an explosive play uh, or just anything like, along those lines, man. I, I think you can easily say point at the offense, you can easily point at the defense, but uh, it, it really comes down to having a complete game as a whole, especially if you're playing a Bama and we can look at that game. We can, we could, 
you know, throughout the course of the game, we break it down. We can look at Jake's fine performance, but we can also look at the defense just as easily and say, man, if the defense had just made a few more plays, got a few more pressures, yeah, uh, or contained, you know, their quarterback a little bit more, we would have won that game. Like that's how close it was, and so it's hard to just in games like that pinpoint one area and say, oh, this would have made the difference. You know what I mean? Now, here's a good trivia question for you, too, Rennie. Let me, let me try and stump you. Don't give me too all much right, right, trivia, man. Hear, you know, I got a lot of hits to the head. All right, no, no. Here we go. I think you can do it, but <laughs> all, I, well, all right, no, 50-50. Who does Georgia right. play this week? Oh, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that, yeah. man. I was a Gamecock killer, man. So I know, I know. We were actually talking about this before the air. I don't think you realize I covered South Carolina before I came to Georgia. So I think I was covering South Carolina those days when you were a Gamecock killer. So you, your, your nice. name was probably in a lot of my stories for the wrong reason, for the people that are reading my stories when I was in Columbia. What, <laughs> what are your best memories of, of those games? Man, I don't, I don't know what it was about the South Carolina game, but I always just had their number like that week. And I think it was because as a true freshman, that was one of the games that I sat out. And so I, it burned in my heart wow. so badly to be out on the field that every time I did get an opportunity – to uh, play against them, it was always like my, you know, I was just licking my chops, man. And and just being a kid, I, I talked about it last time, but being a kid who grew up in Snellville, 45 minutes away from Athens, who grew up watching uh, Georgia football, seeing the big plays that were made in that game by guys like David Pollock and David Green and guys who were from Snellville yeah, and yeah. wanted so badly to make a difference in games like that, man, uh, it just... It was almost like a magical moment every time I stepped on the field against South Carolina because you knew that if you did something big in those games, if you made a game-changing, had a game-changing performance, like that's something that would forever be etched in, in Georgia history uh, along with helping your teammates win. Uh, so, yeah, I, I loved every minute of it, every the atmosphere, how it was usually the first big test of our season when we played them uh, and everything. So it, it's just it's awesome. And be able to go back and look at some of the plays now is, you know, the excitement never goes away. South Carolina is an interesting program because their history is so mediocre, frankly. Um, I mean, they, they had some bad years, and they have such great support. They have I, – I talk a lot about Georgia fans, and there are so many Georgia fans, and Georgia fans are so good as they're showing by taking over opposing stadiums the way they have the last few years. But South Carolina fans tend to pack that stadium, which is about 70,000, I want to say, 70 to 80,000, um, even in years when they stink. And I still believe, Rennie, 2012, I don't, I don't believe you were in, I think you were probably in the NFL at that point, so you weren't at the game. But Georgia goes into South Carolina, both teams are unbeaten, and people are calling it like the biggest game of their careers. And it was supposed to be a pick 'em, like coin flip game. The stands are full. The press box is shaking. It just does that there. And I was told later, like, someone who was at the pregame coin toss, Georgia captains just had this look in their eye of, oh, boy, what did we just get into? And I feel like the game was over before it started. Now, it doesn't have much application to this week's game because it's at noon at Georgia. But that place, South Carolina – really tough place to play sneaky tough place to play not for you guys you ended up winning those games but and those were the early spurrier years where they weren't as good 
They, I mean, they were good, man. We we played some, uh, I mean, some really good. That's when they had like Jared Cook and uh, Norwood. I mean, they had some very very talented players, and I mean, it was still tough, even though we we did win. Let me correct myself because I'm now remembering. All right, so I I think t- was it 2007 or 2008? South Carolina went into LSU. Uh, one of those years, pretty highly ranked. Um, so they 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 ended up having some years. The, the early years of the Spurrier era, they kind of gagged at the finish. They didn't finish well, but they had some years where they started really well and were really good. And that was when you all played them. So yeah, you guys ended up placing. You you played them a lot when they were running well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, like I said, freshman year they. Beat us uh, 07. They gave us that early loss, mm-hmm. uh, even though it wasn't by much. I think it was like 9-7 or something like that. Uh, and then the rest of the years, 08, 09, although we won, it came down to, just like I was saying before, a couple big plays, a couple big goal line stops. And uh, could have very easily gone the other way. And each time, like 08, when we went there, you talk about an intense environment. I mean, they were fired up. They played that little house music at the – Kickoff and the fans got yeah. got going and yeah, it was a very very intense atmosphere. I mean, any you know Tennessee, South Carolina, even if they're having a down year, they're gonna play their hearts out like just because of the history, like I said. And then also a lot of those guys who played on those teams, they were the ones who maybe Georgia turned away or maybe they didn't even look at, who were right in the state of Georgia, who grew up there, who were diehard Georgia fans, and so. They are just like, man, I want to kill Georgia, literally. <laughs> and so it, it just adds to the excitement and the intensity of the game. It's it's interesting what's happened to South Carolina and Georgia. I wrote a story. Uh, Josh Kendall will cover South Carolina for us and used to cover Georgia. So it's interesting perspective because we both we basically traded jobs in 2010, um, flipping from Georgia to South Carolina and me from South Carolina to Georgia. So, you know, South Carolina had that rivalry. Uh, earlier this decade, four out of five wins over Georgia, and then it, it flipped starting in, in 2015 with the Grayson-Lambert game. And then Stur- Spurrier steps down, Kirby comes to Georgia, and Georgia's dominated since then. But everyone read that. I hope uh, I hope you do. Rennie, any any closing thoughts? Are you what, – what do you think about this game for Georgia? Is it any reason to worry the dreaded noon home start fans – Maybe not as fired up, not as liquored up, maybe not as many in the stands. Any any chance South Carolina comes in here and makes it interesting? I have no doubt in my mind that they could do that. And um, these are typically the games where you see things like that happen uh, because it's it's earlier uh, in the day. You know that's going to force guys to go to sleep earlier. Some of them may or may not go to sleep earlier, so they could be a little bit. It may take them a little. Uh, couple plays to get really going or maybe a quarter um young guys who haven't been in this situation may get relaxed um you know i i I think these are the types of games where they could end up giving them a little bit of confidence they're going to come in you know uh with a chip on their shoulder just like everybody else will and so it'll be another uh test for us as far as are we going to start fast are we going to give them confidence and allow them to believe and then turn into a game and then you know, have to have a great performance in the second half to uh, put them away. So it'll be interesting to see just how we uh, get going. And I think that's going to play a big part uh, of the preparation that they go into this week with is going to play a big role in that. And then also the leadership, making sure that that night before that they're focused on, man, coming out, shutting them down, 
hitting him in the mouth, being the bully um, from start to finish. My sense of this game is that because of the way the Tennessee game went and the Notre Dame game, that despite all those other ingredients there for a closer-than-expected game and another slow start for Georgia, that Georgia is more likely to come out and have a stronger start this game. Um, And then maybe South Carolina makes it a little bit more interesting, I don't know, later in the first half, early in the third quarter, that that type of game. I, that's that's just my sense of it. Uh, I may be wrong. All right. I like it. All right. We'll see. All right, Rennie. Well, it's it's been fun again. And uh, next week is Kentucky. And I, I don't know, at that point we may just be skipping ahead and just breaking down the Florida game for the next mm-hmm. few weeks. We'll, we'll see. We don't want to disrespect Kentucky too much. But All right, Rennie. Yeah, well, we can't do that. thanks for joining us. And... Everyone, thanks for listening, and talk to you all next week. Thanks, and then go dogs. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face.